Let's bow for prayer. Father, we do ask you this morning as we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, that, Father, you would open our hearts and minds, that you would grant us understanding and insight, that you would give to us, Father, the desire to want to be conformed to the image of your Son, Christ, that, Father, we will want our minds and hearts to be informed by your word. That, Father, we would desire to be shaped by what the word of God has to say. We ask, Lord, as we continue our study, that, Lord, this would be something that we desire to, to eat deeply from, to uh, fully digest your word. We thank you, Father, that you've given to us your word. We thank you, Father, for your spirit, which indwells all believers, that helps us, Father, to understand scripture that also motivates us father to want to live in obedience to what your word said so father we are grateful we are thankful and again we ask for your help and we do ask these things in christ's name amen so let me read the first five verses once again of first corinthians chapter 10 paul writes i want you to know brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Paul has been talking about what it is that we should be pursuing in our lives as Christians. How we should be living. The kinds of attitudes that we should have the kinds of attitudes that we should be displaying. Uh, and Paul's going to continue that, but he is going to take a different track now, and he reminds them that, number one, others have been in the same position they are, that there is a requirement that they live a certain way. God has a requirement uh, that he's placed upon us. We need to remember that when we become believers, we are saved, that once again, we, we don't belong to ourselves. We, we belong to God. Uh, some of our difficulty with that, I think, at times uh, is because we're Americans. The idea is, is that we're free and we belong to no one. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. That's what I think makes this country great. But we kind of carry that over in every aspect of life. And so it's almost as if at least many believers, maybe most believers from time to time, we approach the word of God, we approach the commands in scripture as if it's something that we have the right to voluntarily follow or voluntarily ignore. When it comes to the laws of our land, we don't always think this way, but primarily what makes our country work is all of us volunteer to obey the law. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. We, we don't live in a police state. Uh, yes, there are reprisals if we break the law, but uh, most of the time they don't tend to be all that severe. Uh, if, you're, if you're pulled over for speeding on, on the interstate, the cops don't drag you out of your car and beat you for doing that. Uh, they may give you a warning, they may give you a ticket, they may cost you some money. But basically, the, the thing, things work in our country because we voluntarily submit ourselves to the law of the land. And we sometimes, and again, as I said, maybe it's often, we take that same approach as Christians when it comes to what the Word of God says. And so we need to work through that in our minds and recognize that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the one who created us, who saved us, who has given to us life. And so attitude must be very, very different. Also, along with that, there can be this idea, and 
maybe it's people who are at least Baptist or evangelical in their thinking uh, that can have a hard time with this. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is because we believe that the Bible clearly teaches that once you are truly born again, you are saved for all of eternity. You are secure in your salvation. I believe that. I believe that's what the scripture teaches. So as a result of that, we may take for granted the status we have with the Lord. We may take for granted that all is well when all is not well. The Corinthians here, they might not think that God's discipline would be an unlikely eventuality because they were so blessed. It was almost as if that wasn't going to happen. And so Paul is going to use Israel as an example that they were God's chosen people, and yet they often experience very severe discipline. So he wants the uh, Corinthians to be very much aware of that. Again, there were several advantages that were enjoyed by Israel. Paul wants to point that out. Again, not just because they were enjoyed by Israel, but he does want to make the comparison to what these believers, to what we as believers enjoy, what we have, uh, those things that are true about us because of the relationship that we have with God. We know that God liberated the Israelites and they enjoyed the supernatural guidance and protection of the pillar of cloud in their exodus from, from Egypt. We know that we do have supernatural guidance and protection from God, the Spirit who uh, indwells us and wherever we are, God is there. And, and we believe that the scripture says that God is guiding us. I believe that often God is guiding us. We are not always cognizant of that. It's not that we're thinking God is guiding me right now. Uh, but we do have this belief that God is guiding and directing us in our circumstances and who we meet and all the things that kind of go involved in living in day-to-day -day life. And so we, we have that as believers. It, it really ha it should have, and maybe it does have a, a big effect on us. We're not always thinking about it, uh, but it should give to us a measure of comfort, um, a measure of contentment, because we know that we're never alone and, and that we have God being active in our lives as believers in the same way that God was active in the lives of the children of Israel. So again, Israel had been delivered from Egypt by the power of God, just as we have been redeemed by sin. In fact, earlier in chapter 5, Paul had related Passover to salvation. Also, Israel was identified with Moses in their Red Sea baptism, just as the Corinthians had been identified with Christ in their Christian baptism. If you think about those events, kind of put them together. Remember that when the children of Israel were running away, you know, when they, they left Egypt and then they were being pursued by the uh, Egyptian army, when they came to the Red Sea, what's important for us to visualize when we read that story is they were going to be slaughtered and or re-enslaved by the Egyptian army. They had no options. They were truly trapped. There was nowhere to go. They had no standing army. They had no weapons. There was no escape. There was, you know, there was the ocean. They weren't going to outswim anybody. This was just, you know, they had their children with them. They had their aging parents with them. This was not a, a good position to be in. This is not a story where it looks pretty bad. It was bad. Unless God moved and delivered them, there was no deliverance. In very much the same way, when it comes to uh, you and I as human beings, what we need to remind ourselves of 
uh, is this. Judgment is, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when. And one particular aspect of the judgment that's coming that we need to remember is there will never be a person ever that will stand before God where while they are standing before God, God is seeking to determine their guilt or innocence. That never happens because we're already condemned. We're already guilty. There is no, God does not need to discover the evidence. He already knows it. In fact, he's a first-hand witness to all of it. And so what we need to remind ourselves of, and maybe part of the message that we need to share with others, and, and why we need the gospel of Christ, why we need to be delivered is, we're already condemned. Standing before God, and again, judgment is not a bad word, it's the word that the Bible uses, uh, but because of our familiarity with our own judicial system, what we need to remind ourselves of is really what, what the individual is doing is standing before God for sentencing. That, that's, what it's, that's what you're there for, to be sentenced. The guilt part has already been taken care of. Uh, the non-believer is guilty. He's being sentenced uh, to horrific uh, punishments. The believer uh, has actually already uh, stands before God already condemned. He's still condemned, but he's been justified by Christ. And so that's why for us, we make a big deal out of the gospel, out of the life of Christ, because it is a big deal. Unless God intervenes, we are destined for eternal death. In the same way that Israel was destined to die or to be re-enslaved by the, by the Egyptian army, unless God himself delivered them and God alone, we all face the exact same thing. And so then when we think about Christ coming, living that perfect life, living among uh, uh, people, living among his people, knowing he's going to be rejected, uh, committing no sin uh, in thought or in deed, and then being arrested and going through these really fake trials where they were trumping up charges against him and trying to make things up and, and create witnesses to accuse him of wrongdoing. So they could somehow justify in their minds finding him guilty or finding him of wrongdoing, which they could never do uh, because they wanted to, in the end, put him to death where he allowed that to happen. He laid his life down. And again, what we recognize is that all of this was orchestrated by God and God then placed on him our sin so that he then was punished on our behalf. And he then was buried because he died and then rose again the third day that we might have life. So that is why that is so central. So when we go through the story of Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea and many of the other stories that we have in the Old Testament, these continue to be very graphic, vivid, uh, emotional-laden stories that are to draw us in so that we can recognize the plight of the people and relate to that to being the plight that we were in. And again, God delivers over and over and over again. And so Paul wants to remind these Corinthians of that truth. The reason why is because he is convinced and he wants them to understand that these truths that he's very quickly reminding them of here, they are to affect their attitudes. They are to inform their attitudes. It is to affect the way they think. It is to push them to actually think, to think about life. And that these truths then actually have a very real bearing on the way we live our life. And again, not just the way we live our life externally, though it definitely must and should, but also on the inward life, what we think about, uh, what we daydream about, what we desire, those types of things. And so again, 
just as the Israelites passed through the sea and experienced a miraculous deliverance from those who sought to take their lives, these Corinthians, and us as well, experienced a miraculous deliverance, which is what we call salvation. In Hebrews 2, it reads, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So unless God intervenes, like Israel, we were going to be enslaved for the rest of our earthly lives to sin, and then we were going to experience the second death. So Israel, being baptized into Moses, meaning that they were united to, to Moses because he was their spiritual head, you and I, as God's servant, are united to God uh, by being baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And so he is the head in whom we trust. Also, Israel ate of the manna that came from heaven. They drank the water that God provided. And again, Christians nourish themselves on the spiritual sustenance that God supplies. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, it reads this way. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So again, he reminds them again of, of these great blessings that they have from God. And again, we are sustained spiritually. I do believe that, at least at times, many American Christians suffer from this idea where we don't really think enough about the spiritual aspect of life, meaning that we still approach life in a very segregated way. That I have my spiritual life, I have my physical life, and my physical life is divided up into my work life and my home life, and as if there's no interconnection between all of those things. What we need to remember and recognize is that all of those things are like this, and that if our spiritual life is what it's supposed to be, it has a direct and a daily effect on every other aspect of life. In fact, whether you are saved or unsaved, your spiritual life as a believer or being spiritually dead as a non-believer daily affects every aspect of your life. It affects your attitudes, it affects your decisions, it affects the way that you come to decisions, it affects everything. And so there is this integration of life. There's not these separate categories uh, when we live life out daily. And so because of these privileges that Israel clearly had, what one of the things that Paul wants to remind them of is it did not prevent the Jews from falling into sin. Now, it, it should have, but it, it didn't. Just because you and I possess these things, in and of themselves, is not going to prevent you and I from falling into sin. In fact, there are dangers for the mature believer as well as for the immature believer, and one of them would be overconfidence. In other words, when we think we're strong, when we think we are strong, we discover that we are weak. The strong believer as Paul has mentioned before, eats in the temple, but he, and he's eating meat that's sacrificed to idols. He may find himself struggling with an enemy who is too strong for him. Paul tells us plainly that he's concerned about this because later on in verse 12, he says, therefore, that anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So Paul is very concerned about this aspect of the individual Christian and of, of the church as a whole, of what it is they're thinking about, what it is that's shaping their thinking and shaping their life. 
in verse 4 of chapter 10. He says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, I don't think that Paul here is suggesting that an actual rock accompanied the Jews throughout their wilderness journey. There are Jewish rabbis who believe that. They do believe that there was a rock that was kind of rolling along and following Israel. I don't know how far behind this rock was, but this was the rock where they got the water from and whatnot. Um, and so there are some rabbis who do believe that. But the idea here that Paul is emphasizing is that it is a spiritual rock, but this spiritual rock did supply what they needed, and that rock was Christ. Whether it was a spiritual or physical need, that rock supplied what was needed. And what we need to recognize is that what the needs you and I have, spiritual and physical, are met by Christ. And again, we can easily forget that because we can just go down the street. It takes about 30 seconds to drive to Kroger and pretty much get anything you want except toilet paper. Uh, that's the one thing you know, we may have to depend upon each other for that. But the point is, is that we're just used to doing that. And, and so we can forget that truly every need that we have, physical and spiritual, is met by Christ. And he wants them to remember that because, again, it's, it's to have an impact on the way you live your life, on the way that you see life, and on the way, again, that you live life. We know from reading in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers that sometimes the water came from a rock, at other times it came from a well. But it was God who always provided the water. So Paul is making it clear that Christ was the source of this supernatural water since the incident of the rock which produced water marked the beginning of Israel's wilderness wanderings and then it happened toward the end of their wandering. And Paul again is reminding the, the, uh, the, the uh, Corinthians that it was Christ that was accompanying Israel. There are many references in the Old Testament that God is being the rock. Uh, many places in Deuteronomy in chapter 32 and 30 and 31 and 2 Samuel chapter 22 and Isaiah 26 Many places in the Psalms all refer to God as the rock. In Jewish prayers and songs, they refer to God as the rock. In fact, there is a, uh, among the Jews, there's a, a well-known song that they would sing uh, on the Sabbath day. Uh, I would give you the English translation of the title, which is the rock from which we have eaten. And this is a song that goes back to the second century. And these are some of the words from that song. This is the rock from whom we have eaten. Bless him my faithful friends. We have eaten our fill without exhausting the supply, which accords with the words of Adonai. He nourishes his world, our shepherd, our father. We have eaten his bread and drunk his wine. With nourishment and sustenance, he has stated our, sated our souls. May the merciful one be blessed and exalted. And so when you read through the words, what they clearly recognize is that God is the source uh, for everything they need. And that God supplied for them. We know again that Christ is the source of, of the supernatural water that we live on, that we talk about. We talk about the need we have for Christ. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift, this is where he's speaking to the woman um, at the well. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I would give him will never be thirsty uh, forever. 
The water that I would give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. One commentator in talking about this passage has suggested uh, here in 1 Corinthians 10 that the blessings that Paul is talking about here was intended by Paul to, by Paul to reflect on the two ordinances, primarily baptism and the Lord's Supper, which the Corinthians may have thought communicated magical protection like similar rites in some of the mystery religions. And that's true even today. There are those who think, well, I know I'm okay. I've been baptized. What does that mean? You've been baptized. That, that idea continues to be out there. That someone thinks it's, even though they've done wrong, uh, even though they're not living the life that God has called them to live, they're clearly, God is not even important in their life, but they've been baptized. Some think to make it for lost time. They'll go to a church service. It's having communion. And they think that if they partake of communion on that particular Sunday, that they can make up for all that lost time. That somehow partaking of communion would give them magical protection from God. It, it, that's not what that is. And we have to be careful that as believers, we don't tend to think that. That somehow everything's going to be okay with me and God. Where in essence, maybe you're living in sin. Perhaps you have an ongoing feud with your husband or your wife. And you're not getting along and you're not really working too hard to resolve it. You're not really working too hard to forgive them. Or, or there are other things in your life that you know that you know that you are aware of that you should get rid of and you're just, you're not doing it. Yet somehow you think that it's still going to be okay. With, you know, you hear people say this, well, I know with me and God that we're okay. Like somehow he's your buddy. And, and I guess the idea behind that is he's your buddy and he doesn't care about holiness. And that is untrue. The Corinthians did have some very distorted view of these things, and Paul later on has to correct them on those things. So again, the presence of these supernatural privileges, and they are supernatural privileges, privileges that God gave to Israel he did not give to anyone else, privileges that you and I have as believers that other believers don't have. Remember that you and I can approach the throne of God at any time and know that God will hear us. Non-believers don't have that access. You and I know that no matter what happens, when we die, we're going to be with the Lord because of Christ. We know that. Non-believers don't have that. We have the comfort of the Holy Spirit that we at times even experience as we read through the promises in the scripture. The non-believer doesn't have that. We know that we will never be alone. We know that nothing happens by accident. The non-believer doesn't have that confidence. They don't have that hope. And so the, again, the presence of these supernatural privileges in the lives of the Old Testament Israelites and in our lives as Christians do not produce automatic success. In fact, on the contrary, in spite of their special advantages, in spite of our special advantages, most of them, as we read through the Old Testament, experience not only God's discipline, they were disqualified. They were disqualified from entering into the promised land, and they died in the desert. Now, again, let me remind you that when Paul was going through these things in chapter 9, that he wasn't talking about, you know, earning salvation and losing salvation, that type of thing. But there is a very real sense that a believer can, in a sense, die in the desert. You can die alone. You can die separated from everyone. You can, you can die apart from the blessings of God. And that can happen. And so in light of this, Paul's avowed need, he, and that's why he's been pressing this need for personal self-discipline. 
In fact, if you read through the book of Numbers, you'll find that even Moses himself was disqualified because he misspoke. When I say misspoke, it wasn't where he said a, a wrong word accidentally, but it was really over one word. Remember, the children of Israel were complaining once again about not having any water and God leaving them out there to die. And so Moses became very angry at them as a result of that. And so Moses goes and strikes the rock, and many people make a big deal out of that because God had told him to speak to the rock. Well, I, I don't think that he, it was probably wrong that he hit it, but that's not what the issue was. The issue was is what Moses said. In his anger, as he spoke to the people, he said, must we bring forth water for you again? And he was, the we was referring to him and Aaron. Basically, what he's accused of is stealing glory from God. Because God was the one who provided the water, not Moses. Moses was just the instrument. And so he said, must we? So one word. And as a result, God, you know, he stole God's glory. And God said, you will not enter the promised land. So don't get this confusion about the promised land being heaven. Uh, that's, not what, that's not what the issue is there. Uh, because I believe, and most believe, I don't know anyone who doesn't believe, that Moses is in heaven with the Lord. But the bottom line is, is that he had to be disciplined for what he had done wrong. And so Paul is very much aware of that, and, and that's why he's issuing this warning to these believers. So again, even though many of God's people have extraordinary advantages, that might lead you and I to suppose that our status with God is secure. Again, like Israel, a majority will meet with God's disapproval, and they may die as a result. And this is to be a warning to us. Before I finish, let me ask you some questions. First of all, do you have an awareness of the spiritual blessings that God has granted you? Not just can you list them, but do you have an awareness where, now I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate that you and I have any kind of a feeling, but the idea is, is that we have such a, uh, an intimate knowledge and appreciation of what God has given us, that there is some kind of an emotional response where, you know, we, we talk about where we really, you know, sometimes when you, we, we talk about how we, the way we feel about our children, our grandchildren, or our wife or our husband, and we talk about how we, we feel so much love for them. We don't just state it as a fact. We, you know, we feel it with our whole person. So the idea here is, is that these things that he's been talking about, do they, do they affect you that way? Because I would say that if, if they don't, and it's not that you have to be, you know, running around every day in some kind of an emotional fog uh, because you're high on God. We're not talking about that. But I am talking about the idea that, that as when, when those moments come that we are meditating on what God has done for us, when we read through the scripture, maybe in, in the Bible reading you have for today or for tomorrow, do you really have that sense of what God has given you? Because if it doesn't affect you in those ways, and I'm not giving any particular way it's supposed to affect you, but if there is no effect on us, most likely something's wrong somewhere. And, and we need to ask the Lord to search our hearts and to reveal to us, maybe there are some things we're not dealing with and we're taking for granted the status we have with the Lord. Are these things for you true and real? Are these things the source of your happiness and of your comfort and of the ease in which you live each day. I know that, uh, you know, when people talk a lot about the coronavirus and the fear that is probably greater than the disease itself, 
And I do believe that part of what feeds that is there is, there is an overwhelming fear among many people of death. And I maybe would say untimely death. You know, we, we, most people would say, well, I know when I get old, I'm going to die, whatever old means. Because um, you talk to my grandkids, I'm old. Uh, but uh, I don't think I am. But nonetheless, there is this fear of death. And as a result of that, sometimes that, that can become, it can really grip us. As believers, we really should not have any apprehension about that. It doesn't mean that we take it lightly, necessarily. But believers should never be living in fear just because there's a threat of death out there. There may be moments in our weakness where it affects us for a brief bit of time and we reflect on what God has said and the truth of what God has said, that this life is not all there is, that, that life really does go on, there is a real heaven, there is a real hell, uh, life will continue, and that this is a very small portion of all of that, that should have an effect on our feelings and on our attitude and our approach to all of these things. For some believers, it, it really hasn't had, I would say, at least enough of an effect. They still live in fear. And we should not. And so the warning that Paul is giving us would be this. Don't feel secure because you have special privileges and blessings given to you by God. Blessings cannot always be interpreted as showing God's approval. If, we, if, there's, if there, you know, there's a few things that we can get in trouble over as believers, and that's one of them. It's the way we interpret blessings, whatever they are, whether it's the supernatural blessings we've been talking about, or perhaps you believe, which would be correct. You know, God has blessed me with the home I live in. God has blessed me with the job I have. All those, I would say, would be correct ways of viewing life in the world. But we have a strange way at times of interpreting what those things mean. Because for many times, or at least for ourselves, the assumption is my possession of these blessings automatically mean that I have God's approval. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Because if it does, how then do we interpret the non-believer who is blessed beyond measure with physical things and at least states that they have no psychological discomfort of any kind? We're going to get in trouble. And so we need to make sure that we are... Approaching life with a level head, meaning that we are informed by what the Word of God says. Now, the Corinthians may be asking, so, Paul, all this stuff that you're talking about with Israel, what does that have to do with us? Well, Paul is going to point out that the Corinthian church was guilty of the same sins that the Jews committed. And so that's what we're going to begin to get into next week. Because we, we, we still may feel overly secure in our status and be blind so there's things that we are involved in, blind to the wrong attitudes that we have. And we need to have our, our spiritual eyes opened to the reality. Again, in doing this, the goal is not for us to, I guess, get involved in a message that's just a downer. We want to deal with reality. We want, we want to deal with these things in a way so that our joy may be full. God desires that you and I experience the joy of the Lord every day. And the way that we do that, or one of the ways we do that, is to have a proper understanding and evaluation of where we are as believers and what he's saying here. And so it would be great this week if you read through the Old Testament or think about some of your favorite stories from the Old Testament, to think about them in terms of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and what I have in that, what, what it is that I possess, so that we may begin to feel much more joyful 
so that we may experience in the midst of all this mess that we're in the joy of the Lord. Remember that for many believers throughout the world, what you and I experience now during this whole COVID thing, it's just not really a thing at all. Because in spite of all of this and, you know, maybe not being able to go to work and all the stuff that's going on, there are still many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers who what they face every day is walking out their door as a believer, there are people who want to kill them. There's a very real danger they will be arrested. There is no real danger that the police are going to show up today and they're going to arrest us. And even if they did, we all know we have means. First thing what we might be saying is, call him my lawyer, or if you don't have one, you're, uh, Tom, you have a lawyer on there. <laughs> you know, we have ways to, to deal with that. So we have great security. There are those who don't. So what we need to do is kind of take a step back as believers and look at these things that Paul is saying. And examine our lives. Because like I mentioned last week, hopefully this will haunt you at least a little bit. You and I as individuals and collectively, I think we should have a greater impact on our world. We should have a greater impact on our family. We should have a greater impact for the Lord among our co-workers. Too often that we don't. Why? What is it that's holding us back? It's not COVID. It may be a prayerlessness, maybe a lot of things, but it may be that we're not living the way that Paul has described. We're not thinking the way that he has said. We're not appreciative of not only the spiritual blessings that God has given us, but they have not affected our affections and our desires. And so we need to ask God to help us to examine those things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for being unbelievably patient with us. Because, Father, we know that as we read through this passage and think about the things that Paul has said, that there have been times in our lives, and for some of us it may even be right now, that we find ourselves guilty. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to take those things very seriously. That we would seek you. That we would seek your presence that we would repent of our ungodliness, repent of our sinfulness, seek the help that comes through your spirit, relish the relationship that we have with Christ, and then live freely in the spirit and enjoy what you've given to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us with this. The Father, we may be much more effective among those that we love, that we may be much more effective for the cause of Christ wherever you place us. And Father, we do pray for those this morning who may come to realize that their lack of spiritual effectiveness is because they have received no supernatural blessings because they don't belong to you. And we pray, Lord, that in your kindness and in your tenderness, you would reveal to them, Lord, their sin and that they are separated from Christ. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would urge them and they would respond to the spirit and they would repent of their sin and believe in Christ. Father, we thank you once again for your presence with us each and every day. And we pray that, Father, your spirit would work on our hearts and cause us to ponder these things throughout this day and this week. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.